Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Andrew Hale. Person, this personhood, this entity, this being, this creator that he believed to be real. And so he goes to a promised place for a future unknown. He goes to a place that he finds, and even in the midst of that, then he finds out that God is going to give him a son, a blessing, something to enjoy, someone to raise up, to maybe raise up the next generation, right? And yet we know that the next part of the story is that God says, hey, Abraham, you know that guy that I promised you, the guy that I then blessed your wife with? I need you to go and sacrifice him. And so Pastor Brock lays out this tension, this drama, this uncertainty, this wrestling that's going on inside of Abraham, and yet he still trusts and believes and has faith in this God who is asking these impossible things, and yet he is willing to go and do that. And yet we know that in the story that he has stopped, that this doesn't occur, and yet we know there's still separation that takes place. We know that Isaac is like, hey, Dad, I, I trust you and I love you, but I need some time. we got to process this. we got to figure this out. And it's likely that Isaac and his dad were apart for a long, long time. Dad, I just need some time. Let's just have some distance. We need to separate for a little while. And then we also talked about Peter on the water. And Peter was called out onto the water out of the boat. He said, come on, come out onto this water with me. And so the Savior of the world is inviting us into unbelievable places. He's saying, come on, let's go, let's do this. Invite me, in, ask to be a part of this. Enjoy, seek after, be willing to come on and, and do that. And so the water is deep. It's not just a puddle, right? But it was water that's deep. And he says, I want to teach you how to maneuver through these living waters. They're active. They're even dangerous. They're incessant. And we need, in response to that, if we've got deep waters, we've got waters that are moving and, and alive, then we have to do something about it. If we just hang out in the boat, we either get to maybe watch what's going to happen or we're going to sink. And so we need a faith on fire. We need faith unending. We need faith forever. And so when it comes, when I say that word faith, what comes to mind? What do you picture? And I mean that seriously. Like, what, do you, what image comes to mind? Is there an image at all? Maybe it's the image of, of a loved one who's fought through a terrible sickness. Maybe it's an image of someone that you know that, that fought through and kept the faith all the way through the end of their life. What image do you paint? Maybe it's someone that's in the Bible. Maybe you are familiar with the stories and you're familiar with the different people, the different elements, the different aspects of what takes place. And you just, this is that person that for me illustrates, embodies faith. Or maybe it's this concept of faith is murky. It's like hanging out in the shadows. It's like if that door was open and there's like someone hanging around the corner, I, I can't quite place it. I can't tell who it is. I can't quite make out this faith thing. It, it's just distant. It doesn't make sense. It's unwilling to reveal itself. What do I do with this faith thing? Yeah, maybe I go to church. Maybe I'm involved. Maybe I make chili. Maybe I show up and I help out with the kids stuff. But I'm still like this faith thing. Like how do I actually live that out? What is faith? And so Hebrews chapter 11 tells us what faith is. It lists that out. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. 
So faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's hope. Hope to look forward to something, to anticipate that which is to come. To gaze upon that which ignites glory within us. To set our sights on something that causes something exciting to buzz like bumblebees or to flutter like butterflies. There's some nervous energy. There's some even excitement about it, but I'm not sure if I should be excited or am I supposed to just be reverent? Like, what do I do with this excitement, this hope, this faith thing? Is it just a concept that hangs out there and is murking in the shadows and we put it on a shelf and we grab it and say, I've got faith now because it's the only thing I have. I don't know what else to do, so I've got faith. But faith is also assurance about what we do not see. Assurance about what we do not see. So I know that Jessica loves me because of things she does when I'm not looking. There's things that occur even when I'm not present, and I know that she's doing it partly because, yeah, it needs done, but she's doing it because she has a commitment that she's decided, like, hey, I love this person, so I'm going to do these things for them to not see. I think of a surprise birthday party. Anybody have ever been surprised by a birthday party? Was it for you or was it for you showed up to someone else's surprise? It was for you. It was a couple years ago, right? Right out here? That was fun. That was fun. Good idea. Surprise birthday party. So I have found over our nearly six years of being married and 10 years of knowing one another that I, I personally really like, I really enjoy surprising Jessica with things. So maybe it's a gift or maybe it's a surprise birthday party. Maybe it's a, one of her favorite drinks is cranberry apple juice. We call it cranapple berry juice. And uh, so I like to bring that. I'll be at the grocery store, grab that, take that home, and she always is able to enjoy some cranberry apple juice. But I also like to be sneaky about doing some of these things. So to pull off a surprise party, what I really enjoy is not only pulling off the surprise, but doing it without lying to her, which is a challenge. So to, to I mean, I have to like think ahead and ask questions that are intermingled with questions I like. I, care about your other answers, but it really I have this one question that I want an answer to, and I'm going to sprinkle it in with some others. These are good tips, guys, I'm just saying. But I try to be sneaky about it. The reality is she probably picks up on all of this, but I ask questions that I care about. I mix in the ones that I genuinely hope to glean info from, and then when the surprise is popped, we go from something unknown to suddenly it's known, and it's almost like, whoa, what is this thing, or whoa, this is hey, I know you, this is cool, this is awesome, I want to do this, let's go in and have this party, let's celebrate. And so it's faith to have assurance of what we do not see. Creation was made out of something intangible. Creation was something that, that was an occurrence. It took place, it was an action by God, it was spoken. The Bible tells us in the first two verses, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There was nothing. Zilch. Zero. Nothing. Nothing. And then there was something. And I don't know if it happened with a big bang or not. That's not what I'm focused on. The focus on it is the point that God spoke and something occurred. God acted and something took place. And is that not kind of what life is like? With, uh, with, I mean, let's really think about it. Let's think about our lives. Something's not occurring, even if I really want it to. I'm even prepping or planning for it, and now it's occurring. So maybe it's an egg, and it's fertilized, and it attaches to the uterine wall, and that's called conception. Life. Or maybe we go to a party, we're going to a bar, we go with some friends or some buddies, and we 
go and hang out. We don't, we don't have any sort of special someone in our life. But you walk in, and there's, there's someone over there on the other side. Someone on the other side of the room, we catch eyes. You know, maybe my knees get weak. Maybe my arms get heavy. I really should not have eaten mom's spaghetti. She puts a lot of garlic in that spaghetti. Or maybe we meet another child, like when I was a little boy, and I met my friend Brian, and then a couple years later, we're going to kindergarten, getting off the bus together and walking in. There was nothing, right? We didn't know each other. We became friends, and then there was something. There's a spark. Or think of that satisfying sound. Anybody, like, you have a cup of water, and you go to put ice in it, and you hear that, like, crackle, crinkle sound? Anybody? Me? All right, just me. So I actually really enjoy that. So anytime Je- or Kaylin needs water, I will fill up her water, and then I'll put a little piece of ice in it just to hear that crackle sound as it's, it's just the little thing. So no cracks, and then that's satisfying. So there's no cracks in the ice, and then there is faith. All right, good night. So faith, what if we do not have something we hope for? What if we cannot get away from this concept of faith? What if it's like this sickening sense of separation. Maybe it's this gross, terrible thing. I don't know what it might be. Maybe we're just like, I don't want any part of this. Maybe we've got friends that are like asking questions and I don't have the answer. Does that mean my faith isn't strong enough? Does that mean that I don't have answers to bring? Am I not enough? In those spaces, do we despair? Is it wrong to despair? Do I cry out in agony? God, I need you. God, I I don't even know what's going on. God, I'm so mad at you right now. God, I am so ticked off. God, I so want to just punch you if I could. Do I lie down and just take the punishment of life, right? Because we know the hits just keep coming. Whether it's sickness, whether it's the loss of life, whether it's just... Something's going on at work, and they keep undermining me. Or do I seize hold of life that's thrust in my face? Do I choose hope, and do I choose forever? Do I do something with it, or do I allow it? And I'm not saying we can't just take the hits and deal with it. Yeah, we need to be tough. We need to step into those things. We need to be faithful in those spaces. And yet, is there something about, there's something more than just taking the hits and being okay with it? Do I just turn the other cheek? We should do that. But there's a whole lot more in Scripture than just turning the other cheek when it talks about relationship, working with people, making a difference, seeking hope, seeking to have faith forever. So here's what I know is true of all of us. We are separated from Jesus We're unable to know God, and we're unwilling to turn from our will and our way. We're distinct, divided, and dead. And then Jesus enters the scene, and we are given a new name in heaven. We're given a a stone that our name is written on, a white stone. We're given a new perspective. We have a new lens. We have new thoughts, new ways of doing things. We have access to that which we did not know existed before. And I'm not just talking supernatural stuff. I'm talking there's just perspective. There's life change. There's difference. There's words of encouragement that can be spoken and not withheld that make a difference. The enemy's not telling you encourage that person. The enemy's not saying go pray with that person. He doesn't want you to do that. So we are dead, we're separated, we're divided from God. 
And then Jesus enters the scene, and so we go from nothing to something. We go from no faith to full of faith. We go from completely dead to completely alive. So what are we going to do with this thing called faith? How do I know this is going to change my life? Okay, we can talk about this. We can show up at church. We can do the churchy things. But this faith thing, like walking it out, how do I apply it? Is it something that is life-changing, or is it just something that I do as part of my life And then I can actually go and do the rest of life. How do I know it's going to change my life? You say it's this awesome, amazing thing. It's this thing that's powerful. We sing about it. Where else in our week are we singing with other people? Maybe a concert. Usually I go to concert. I don't know the words anyway. But Sunday morning, right? Why are we doing this praying or this singing thing together? Why are we singing in unison? Why are we, maybe we don't want to sing and we just stand because that's what we're supposed to do. How do I know this faith thing is going to change anything at all? And I think it requires, I think it requires an ongoing, unending, forever commitment to saying yes to his will and his ways. His will, not mine. His ways, not mine. In Isaiah 55, it's God is talking. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I don't do things the way you think you should. I don't do things. I was just hearing this morning from Mike Small. He was talking about how we are maybe told to take three steps. And we're like, well, I don't even know if I should. John was part of this too. I don't know if, if we should. Well, I'll take one. That's good, right? I took one step. Or maybe we're feeling eager. I'll take four. God, look at me. You said three. I took four. And God said, uh-uh. Have faith in me. Even though the step you took is a good step, it's a step that makes sense, it's a step that's logical, it's a step that maybe brought benefit, I just needed you to take three. And potentially even more could have taken place instead of just under our own efforts. So I think of Abram from Genesis 11 and 12. He was hearing voices, and he goes to this faraway country. And he trusts God, and God gives him a new name, Abraham. And even to the point that he has faith that he's willing to kill his own son. I can't even conceptualize that, especially now that I have a son. And am I willing to do this at the command of God? Is God overzealous? Is God really who I trust him to be? Isn't that too far? That's too much. That's way too much. I'm not sure how that person's going to respond. I don't want to be overbearing on them and step the Bible down their throat or make Jesus appear to be something different than he actually is. We don't have the power to do that. We don't have the power to turn people away. They get to choose that, but Jesus is present in our movement and our obedience. Moses chooses the faith of his parents, of his siblings. He's in the palace. He has the life. He has the high life. He gets to do whatever he wants, whenever, wherever he wants, And yet he chooses to go and hang out with the people that he came from. He gets to hang out with the people that are enslaved and are beaten and torn apart. Because he has an encounter with a burning bush. Anybody else seen a burning bush that never stops burning? I've had some fires that I've started to take off further than I would have liked. But (laughs) No, Moses was cautious. He was hesitant. Even when he said yes, we can read it in scripture. He says, but, but God, there's got to be someone else. I, I can't speak. It's thought that Moses potentially had a stutter. 
He was hesitant. He said, but there's all these other people. There's got to be someone else. There's got to be something else that you can do. God, you are big and awesome and amazing. Do it different. And God says, no, just have faith. Moses did not fully grasp and even tried to reject something. Even though he was actually literally talking to God, which is wild. Even as thinking about the burning bush, I, I always find it really cool when someone's grinding or someone's welding or anyone who throws hot orange sparks. Jeff's smiling. And whatever they might be doing, I don't care what it is. If you're throwing hot orange sparks, I want to watch you do whatever you're doing. I think it's so cool. I think it's awesome. Usually I get some dots in my eyes because I can't see um, from looking at the orange sparks. But they grab my attention. I find it fascinating to watch. And so when I was a boy, I was watching my dad from afar, but he was taking care of cutting something with a torch. And so the torch was going, he's got his helmet on, he can't see anything but the light, and I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to, to go and see and do, there's sparks flying, who wouldn't want to be a part of sparks flying? So he finishes with the piece that he's cutting, and he turns off the machine, and he goes in the barn to take care of something, he's going to let it cool down. And I'm the one that likes to be a part of things to the extent that I will clear workspaces. I will go in and I'll rub that soybean dust off that combine while I'm waiting on my dad to, to ask for the next tool. I'm going in, I'm trying to figure out how to be helpful while I'm watching and learning and trying to watch and figure out how is it they did that? How are they doing this thing? So my dad goes in the barn and I see my opportunity. And not only do I see it, but I seize it. And I run over, and I check out his work, and I see a piece of metal hanging on that needed clearing off, right? Because I want to be helpful. I want to watch. And it's cleared off. That way, it's helped my dad. Dad comes back like, hey, son, thank you so much for clearing that off. Well, I grabbed that welding piece, and it did not take me long to look at it and figure out that I needed no part in helping clear this workspace. That thing was hot. Somehow I don't have markings from it still, but, but I, always, I think about that story. I think about that time, and I've actually never asked my dad to go help with any of those things again, but I like watching him do it. I didn't understand. I didn't understand what it took. I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand. I didn't understand. And so even from observing fully what was going on, I could see he had the helmet on. I could see he had the torch. I could see that he had the tank separated away so sparks wouldn't cause any problems. I could see what he was even working on. I was observing it. But even when I had an idea of what the work, what that life was like, I didn't get it. I had to enter into that scenario, either out of eagerness and desire to learn and to see and experience, or just knowing that to be able to do these things, I have to go and learn and do and speak and try and act. And so just like Peter in Matthew 14, Peter asked Jesus to invite him out on the water, and Peter entered. He said, Lord, invite me out on the water. And Jesus says, come on. Come on. And so maybe as we think about Peter walking on water, maybe the image could be captured by, if you just picture like a high dive, it's got like 10 feet, 20 foot, and 30 foot boards. And as you climb it, you know, your, your buddies are with you. And you've got, your knees are knocking, and you're terrified as you teeter on the precipice of potential pain. That was supposed to be a funny callback to Pastor Brock last week. It did not land. I'll take that out for next time. But with the world's a gain, right? You're on the top of this 30 foot, and your knees are knocking. He did this too. I got to do this. Wow. 
he kept his balance pretty good. And so he dives off, right, and he has this thing. But with the world to gain, right, we go into these terrifying, weird, crazy, wild, different things and places. And it's painful, and it hurts when we land, and we go into these deep waters, and we need to do something with this water, otherwise it's going to suffocate us. And yet somehow this living water is supposed to help us and spur us and give us energy and excitement and, and a desire to pursue. And if it's just the world to gain, well, let's have at it. But we're not after the world. We are after the acquisition of a vision, of a redeemed, of a restored world, a world changed, a world different. We all know that this world is not right. We all know that this world is not our own. We all know this world is hurting. We all know this world is in need of more than better behavior or proper policy. We're after faith in a God who knows us intimately, a God who pines over our pain, a God who pursues us with passion for our benefit, a God who not only is after us and we're not after gaining the world, but for the world to gain life changers. And I think often we capture glimpses of this vision and we refocus on what it takes to make a better future for our children, our grandchildren, the next generations. But I think we need to push past this reaction. We need to push past that and place our faith not in the future, not in the past, but in the now and the forever. In the now and the forever. In Colossians it tells us, since we have been raised with Christ, we must set our hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. We are not of this world. We are different. We are set apart. We are distinct. We get to follow and pursue Jesus, and that means that we get to go and do that and live that out and act that way in life. I don't have to have that same reaction. I don't have to go and hang out with those buddies or those friends or those guys and get in on whatever jokes we always tell. I don't have to have those same relationships. I can make them different. I can speak into those spaces and make it different. It might be weird and awkward, and it might be like, I don't know if they're going to want me to come back next time. But it's worth it because it's going to spark something in them. That guy's so weird. Why, what is he, what is, what's going on with him? Why is he bringing that up? He knows we don't talk about that here. We're playing poker. But since we have been raised with Christ, we must set our hearts on things above. Seated at the right hand of God. And so as we look at that, that verse, if you throw that back up there, we're setting our things on minds above, not on earthly things. That is present speak. That's not just past. That's not just looking forward. That is now. Present speak. This is life now. We are the difference makers to make a difference. We get to be the difference makers who make a difference. We want to see a different result in our home, and we have to change. I'm not going to wait for that other person to change. I'm going to change. We all know that this world is hurting. You want to experience community building opportunities, network together and make it happen. You guys know each other. You guys have responsibilities. You guys have activities and ways that you speak into places that I could never, that Kyler could never. Not yet. We want to see drugs and drudgery disappear from our community dynamic. We got to try something different. We are here. We can't wait. No one else is coming to save the day. No superhero, no politician, no pastor, no program. Only faith in Jesus is going to cause lasting, life-changing, difference-making effects that could emanate forever. Not, it used to be that way, and why are we not that way now? 
not, well, we could be that way if we would just work towards the future. No, we're working on the future now. The kids of the future, how are they going to become the future if we're not working on them now? So only faith in Jesus will cause any lasting effect that could emanate forever. We get to be the difference makers that make a difference today in our community. We get to speak into that. Jesus has already come. Jesus is already here. Jesus is already in the presence, in the midst. We are here experiencing that. Maybe today, maybe we have in the past, maybe it's been in that room, maybe it's been downstairs, whatever it is. Maybe it's been out on the, on the block party. We get to go and do that. We're called to do that. It's our responsibility to go and do those things. And here's the thing. Some of us are already doing those things. Some of you are already moving in those places and in those spaces. So how do we live this out? Even Jesus says to them all, he's speaking to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And so even as Jesus is saying, come and do this thing, come and take up your cross that I'm going to go die on, he also says in Luke 22, verse 42, I'm jumping ahead, guys. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours. So Jesus who says, take up your cross, is also at the same time in a different context. He's saying, Father, take this from me. God, I don't know if I can do this. God, I, I, I'm going to do this, but God, if there's another way, let's do it that way. So Jesus is the one that we look to. Jesus is the one who says, we're going to follow, we're going to seek, we're going to pursue. I want to do if, it, if Jesus did it. And yet Jesus said, God, I don't know. There's room for that. And another passage, going a little further, he fell on his faith, fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And so for us to desire rescue, to desire lifting of hardship, to desire rest and redemption, that's good. Those things are good. It's of God. And scripture talks about having a bountiful harvest. 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. That is insane. Do we understand how wild those numbers are? Any farmers, what was the last time you had a 30-fold return or a 100-fold return? on whatever you put in the ground. And we could experience a bountiful harvest here. If we think of ourselves all as farmers, as we think of ourselves all as a farming community, we are planted here. We get to be of benefit. We get to become bountiful here. And we are seeing revival. There's revival going on within these walls. There's revival going on outside of these walls. There's revival going on in other churches in our community. God's doing something here. Mm -hmm. God's doing something here. We had a big VBS a couple last week, whenever that was, and we had 35 kiddos of different connections to the church come out. Some of the families we knew, some of them we didn't. It's an outreach and a network community. This past Sunday, we had a ton of folks and families able to be at Sunday service. The room was packed, and there was a ton of kiddos. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. There was the thundering herd that left. Mm -hmm. So as I've had a, a little boy that was born, I was thinking about what all did we leave behind? Because with our first kid, with Kaylin, we had planned to have an induction because, well, kind of planned. She came two weeks early because she stopped growing. And so it was a different experience. This time we were just waiting. We were waiting for a little guy to come, waiting for him to make his move. And suddenly he was making his move. I had just arrived in Fairmount about 9.30. Was making, I was on the phone with Dale Carr. And I said, Dale, my wife's calling we're going to have to hang up. And he said, all right. 
So I answer the phone, and she says, Andrew, you got to come home now. And I said, do I have time to do one more thing? Oh, my gosh. I said that. Oh, my word. She said, no. <laughs> come home now. So I turned around, and I went home. And so we're getting ready. We're running around. We'd already packed our bags, and we had stuff ready to go in the car, but it was not yet in the car. And so I'm running around. I'm still wearing, like, the outfit I was going to wear that day. So when we gave birth, it was a picture of it. I'm still wearing, like, my slacks and a polo because it all happened so quickly. But I don't know why that mattered. But this idea is, hey, I like that guy <laughs> and that lady. <laughs> Top right corner, um, side note, is four generations. So that's me with Warren and Kaylin, my kids. And then that's my mother, Luann, and that's her father, Larry. He is from Warren, and that's, that's the Warren name connection, so fun mm. fact there. So that was cool to get some time with them. So we're on our way to the hospital, and I passed some cars, and <laughs> Jessica says, we are not having this kid in this car. I said, yes, ma'am. And so we are driving. There's a couple cars that were going slower than I would have liked, but we made it our way. So we get there. And we do all the, the birthing stuff. We go through that process. There was a whole extra pieces and stories to that that we can get into if you're really interested another time. And we have the kid, and we're there, and we're just waiting, figuring out if he's okay. Does he have jaundice or not? You know, all those different pieces you just wait to find out, to hear. And really, we were just waiting on him to pee. <laughs> he just wouldn't pee. <laughs> so we stayed in the hospital like another day. Um, but as we're sitting there, we're thinking, we're talking. He's going to hate me someday. And... I started thinking about, well, what did we leave behind? Well, we left behind Kaylin. We left her on the porch, said, grandparents will be here soon. <laughs> I told my mom that's what we did. That's not what I actually did. Uh, <laughs> we went and got our neighbor, and she came over and took care of us. But um, <laughs> until grandma could get there. But so we left Kaylin behind. We left our home behind. We left our dog behind. We left the mowing behind. We left the garden behind. A garden that Jessica's taken care of for a while. We've got a nice raised garden bed. Tomatoes, summer squash, zucchini, uh, green beans. We've got a couple different peppers. We've been branching out, <laughs> getting a couple more different peppers. So, <laughs> But as I realized, obviously the moment called for action, the moment called for a presence, the moment called for us to go and seek medical help, because if I was going to deliver that baby, Jessica was not going to be happy. It was me at the other end. <laughs> But maybe we needed to let the garden go so we could help our family grow. Mm. And so maybe there's things in life that I have this responsibility. I've got to take care of it. I've got to make sure I take care of these things. We should take care of our responsibilities. Let's have ownership of those things. Yeah. But maybe there's times we need to let those things go yeah. so that we can help our family grow. Yeah. So I think of folks that have done that. People who have prayed for their spouse for years to come to know the Lord, even just to come to church with them. I think of people in our church family who have had life change since they've changed churches. Nothing against the other church, it's just been there's a way to connect that they have engaged with. I think of Pop-Tart Man Randy and how he's had life change, how people stepped out and spoke and, and took care of him for, for a long, long time, for months and months and years. You know, I think of people in our community, in our church family, who have taken over the sports board with a vision for developing young people into a fundamentally sound athletes and ultimately the goal of community contributors. I think of people who have asked their boss for flexibility in their work hours to make a difference in the life of elementary students. 
here in town. Philip Brooks says this. He says, sad will be the day for any man when, hmm, sad will be the day for any man when becomes contented with the thoughts he is thinking and the deeds he is doing, where there is not forever beating at the doors of his soul some great desire to do something larger, which he knows he was meant and made to do. So maybe we get to do what we are taught, and maybe that's better than just figuring out ourselves. I've always thought that a self-made man is the way to go. A self-made man just watches and learns, cleans those workspaces, doesn't touch the hot metal. And yet, is it possible that it's better to be a together-made man, to be a together-made community? John Eldred says this. He says, we often speak of a man who has done this successfully as a self-made man. The appellation is usually spoken with a sense of admiration, but really it should be said in the same tones we might use of the dearly departed or of a man who recently lost an arm with sadness and regret. What the term really means is an orphaned man who figured out how to master some part of life on his own. Hmm. So we have a community who is in need of fathers. We have a community who is in need of mothers. We have a community who's in need of aunts, of uncles, of grandpas and grandmas who are going to stand in that gap, who will help them back on their feet and point them to forever. We have faith in a Jesus who says, we can do these things. We have a faith in Jesus who says, yes, go and do. Go coach that team. Go make that difference. Go help out with that band, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I think of things that we are already doing as a church or maybe things that we're doing in our community, local opportunities. We've got men's and women's groups where life change is happening, where they wrestle with scripture and hear the stories of people we live near and experience heartache and triumph together. In a couple weeks, Taylor U students hopefully might start coming back to church here. And we, how can we encourage, support, equip them in their lives now and help them be a part of launching them towards forever? Could we be a part of their Story And maybe that even looks like organizing some sort of intentional home and hospitality initiative, inviting them out to lunch, inviting them into our homes, going to campus and visiting with them. We have people that gather in our community. Where do our people gather? They gather at the ball fields. There's a lot of other places, but there's a lot of people at the ball fields. Maybe there's an initiative we can have to, to connect, to coach, and serve concessions with people just to connect, to engage with youth and adults working together to connect with the community, to bring folks into unity together. With school back in session now, we've got Christ for Life that is resuming and returning this fall. It's a school-approved club, school-approved club that we get to go and be in the school building. And it's going to be on Monday afternoons, and it's going to launch in the next few weeks. We've got Campus Life and youth groups who are desperately in need of people willing to divulge their wisdom and life experience. You have what it takes. You have stuff in you that you don't even know. So perhaps there are new avenues and areas where you see a need. Maybe you have a compulsion to do something, but you're not sure. Do I take one step or three? Do I take four? I'm not even sure what this faith thing means. What do I do with it? Maybe we cannot do the active work, but we know people who can. We have that networking connection. We have the ability to fundraise, to to finance, to fiscally free others to be spurred on. There is so much good taking place in our community. There's so much good that we are a part of, that we get to press into, that we get to make a difference in, that we get to financially support, that we get to actively take place in. We look to the promise that is to come. We look to seize it, and we invite the next person to join us as we adventure to forever. So let's live into that promise, church family.
Let's do something with this. This faith thing, it's alive, it's active, it's real. It's life-changing. We get to be the difference makers. There's no one else coming. It's us and it's here. It's us and it's here. So that is only done through us and that is only done through a living and active faith that works not to the future, but to now and to forever. So let's let our gardens go and let's help our community grow. Let's pray. Jesus, we've been here today. Maybe things haven't gone, maybe how we thought. Maybe we haven't spoken quite as we thought we would. Maybe we haven't prayed or sang like we thought we might do. We, we haven't been feeling it. Maybe we've been feeling it and yet we haven't known what to do. Maybe we haven't acted or spoken or moved. Maybe we're holding back. Something has caused us pain or grief. Something is causing us to withdraw. God, we want to press in. We want to move. We want to seek. We want to be responsive to you and to act. God, this isn't just a faith where we just take it and take it to work. It's a, something that we take and it is actively at work. Jesus, you are good. Jesus, you are big. Jesus, you give us gardens, and we love to see them grow. God, thank you for planting us in this community. God, thank you that we get to move and speak and be active here, not just to be redundant, not just to do and to do life, not just to have fun things to take place, but to see life change, to experience that, that we get to be a part of that. We get to not just, that we get to do it. We're not just paying someone else to. We're not just looking for someone else. There is no one else, God. There is only you and there is only us. We are present here. We are called here. We are the people that you are moving and spurring us in faith. So Jesus, as we close, we love you, Lord. May that be our foundation, our cornerstone. And as we look to the next century, as we look to forever, not just to the future, but to the now and the forever, God, spur us, compulse, cause us to move and to respond, to act and to behave, not just to behave because that's what we're supposed to do, but God, we want to seek, we want to grasp hold of, we want to do something with. God, you put us here. We're ready and we want to do. We love you, Lord. Amen. Would y'all stand with me and sing this chorus? Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I So we're so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.